Well, the first thing I want to say is uh, how impressed I was with all of you this afternoon uh, in your grit and your effort, your sportsmanship. Uh, it was really, it was really fun to watch y'all at play. And uh, I remember Coach McCartney from University of Colorado once said that competition is not meant for you to uh, fight against another person. Competition is not you against the other guy. Competition calls out the best in yourself. And I, that was a, a great thing for me to hear because I had always thought that when you play against other people and you are in a game, the object was to win, to beat them. And I thought it was me against them. It was really, it was really refreshing to hear that competition is not against anybody else but it's drawing the best of yourself out. You guys did a great job today. I was very, very pleased to see it. So thank you. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the scripture. I know it might be tough for you tonight to listen. It's going to be tougher tomorrow night. And uh, we just got to pray for miracles. Okay? Uh, one thing I will say about tomorrow in your activities, um, this will give some of you an opportunity uh, to exert some leadership. I hope not too much. Uh, and what I mean by that is I hope there aren't any accidents. I hope nobody uh, is hurt and needs to be carried down the mountain. Uh, I was on a, a, a group once where we climbed the peak, and coming down, uh, somebody got hurt, and we took our jackets off, we took two poles, we made a stretcher, we carried her down the mountain, and uh, that was a great evidence of leadership in those folks who did that. God forbid you have to do that tomorrow. Or jump in off a raft and save somebody. Um, but you never know. And so uh, be ready to take care of each other. That's all I'm saying. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, we are just so pleased to be able to have a chance to gather around the Word of God. We do thank you for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for his family. We pray a blessing on them. We pray for all those in Congress, uh, all those, Lord, who have authority over us. You have told us to pray for them, and we do pray for them, that they would do right, that, Lord, uh, they would be righteous people. Uh, whether they're saved or not, they would do good by your common grace. We also ask for the future of our country, Lord. We're in the midst of an election. And Lord, we know that people make decisions and those decisions have long-term effects on our whole nation. Please give us great leaders, Lord. Please protect us from evil. And I just pray that your sovereign hand would guide in everything that happens. We pray for those in Europe and in England who are going through the whole Brexit thing. Lord, this is a time of political turmoil. Please, superintend all of these things so that the gospel would spread and your church would grow. And now, Holy Spirit, come and help us. Give yourself glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are on a quest to find out about how to be good and where it, what is goodness and righteousness. Uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus 
And he was seeking uh, the secret of eternal life. And you can put those two things together. What do I have to do? How good do I have to be to get to heaven? What, what thing would I have to do to make that possible? Now, you know, when you're young and you're healthy, you don't think about dying so much. But every once in a while, God gives you a wake-up call. Uh, somebody in your high school, somebody in your family, somebody you know, all of a sudden you get a phone call. It's a terrible automobile accident, and they're gone. Or somebody that you loved commits suicide, and they took their own life, and they're gone. And those things just shock us. And they, the, the one benefit of that stuff is that it brings you face-to-face with the fact that you're going to die. Now, if you knew you were going to die, you knew it was coming, maybe the issue of eternal life would finally come front and center for you. But one of the, the jobs preachers have is to keep it in front of all people that you only have one life. And it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So how are you going to do in that judgment? Or do you have an answer uh, that this rich young ruler didn't have? And Jesus you know, told him, he said, well, you know, you know the law, what does it say? What does it tell you? And you know, they, he goes through these commandments and he said, all this I've kept. Now obviously, as we said last night, there were some of the commandments left out and that is a hint, it's a clue to what this young man's problem was. He had idols in his life. He had made something uh, God before the true God. Those, those commandments aren't listed here. The, the commandment about coveting is not listed here. He had that idol that, that got hold of his materialism. And this is a very chronic American disease. This is something that plagues all of us. Uh, I, sometimes in uh, marital counseling, uh, two people want to get married and they ask me to get them ready and counseling. And, and I, I like to ask them this question. I said, are you a materialist? And, uh, you know, they, they think about it. Quite often they'll tell me, no, no, I'm not a materialist. I'm, you know, I'm not greedy. I'm not... And I always like to tell them, you just should have just said yes. Because every one of us is a materialist. You, you wearing clothes tonight, right? You ate food tonight, right? You're going to have a place to sleep. Those are material things. And Jesus tells us, especially in Luke chapter 12, the people of the world worry about that stuff. He said, but you shouldn't, because your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But I will tell you, materialism is, it has a grip on so many lives. And uh, may God protect you from it. It's going to be a powerful beast for you to deal with uh, in your life. Now this rich young ruler... He heard from Jesus, one thing you still lack. He said, go take what you have and sell it, give it to the poor, come follow me. And boy, he couldn't do that. You know, it's an interesting thing. He was a law keeper. He was a Jew who knew all his life that he ought to obey the Ten Commandments. And, and he knew them, and he, and, he, and he had said he kept them from his youth. Now, there's a problem when you try to build your life uh, on keeping the law. 
it leads to several problems. Uh, one of the problems it leads to is it usually creates a blind spot, like it did with this man. He, he, he was sort of emphasizing the ones he was doing well at and minimizing the ones he wasn't doing well at. And you know, here, here's a problem. Jesus makes the law harder. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, Jesus said, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already committed murder. And then he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust in your heart after someone, you've already committed adultery. Now, isn't that just terrible? I mean, the law was hard enough. And then Jesus, he multiplies it. He, he, doesn't, he just says, it's not enough about what you do. Now, he's messing with your mind. It's what you think. And the problem with being a law keeper is the law is really tough. There's another problem with the law. Uh, the problem tends to make people self-righteous. You, 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 when you, where you're a law keeper, you start comparing yourself with other people. Well, I'm doing pretty good. You know, and, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything that bad. And, you know, I may have slipped a little bit over here, but I didn't slip that much. And that is a really nasty problem. And, and by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, well, man, I'm, I'm so glad that we no longer have that problem, that that was a Jewish problem, and we don't have that problem in the church, get a clue. <laughs> there are tons of people in our PCA, evangelical, reformed churches, who basically are functional legalists. They live their life uh, by a formula. And outward appearances are very important to them. And they excuse the hypocrisy in their heart. And they think they're better than other people. Jesus, uh, in fact, tells a story. In fact, it's very, in the same chapter as the rich young ruler. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. This is in verse 10 of chapter 18. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you've you got to remember that when Jesus sets two people up, you've you got to get the context. One's a Pharisee. Are Pharisees law keepers? Very much so. They are the Orthodox Jews. They, they do everything faultlessly. Then he, he says, and there was a tax collector. Now this is where, you know, in the old time movies, the silent movies, when the bad guy came onto the screen, everybody in the audience would go, you know, because you knew this is the bad guy. So when Jesus says the tax collector, you could almost hear the crowd go, ooh, tax collector, nasty person, steals money, works for the government. You know, got to be corrupt. Can't trust him. Pharisee? Yeah. Got to be a good guy. Tax collector? No good. Jesus says, they both went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, you know, you can just catch that he's close to the tax collector, right? 
I'm not like other men. Extortioners. <laughs> unjust. Adulterers. And then he says it. Or even like this tax collector. I mean, he just says it. I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I get. Anybody here do that? Fast twice a week. Give tithes of everything you get. So he's better than us already, right? I mean, he's, he's doing it. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's what legalistic righteousness does to you. It, it exalts yourself. Now there's one other thing that the law does to you. Not only gives you a blind spot where it's hard for you to see yourself as you really are and it leads you uh, into self-righteousness, but the law also does this to you. It tells you, frankly, you're going to hell. That's what the law says. The law condemns you. The law says... Here are ten laws, all of which you must keep completely. There's no grading on the curve. Uh, there, there's no room for mistakes. Uh, this law is a law, a standard of God. If, by the way, if you get arrested, how many laws do you have to break uh, to be found guilty of being a lawbreaker? Just one. Just one. You don't have to you don't have to rob ten banks to go to jail for bank robbery. One will do. Okay? And here's the same thing with the law. And that's the problem with it. You you break it in one part, you're guilty of all. This is what the law does. It's a real problem. By the way, the law is wonderful. The law is perfect and it's good. If, you, if anybody ever needed a standard of what it really meant to love both God and people, it would be the law. If, if, if anybody needed any direction to say, this is how you treat your neighbor as you should treat yourself. You don't steal from them. You don't kill them. You don't cheat with his spouse. You don't covet the stuff he's got. That's a that's awesome. It's perfect. It tells you exactly how you and I ought to live. Now there's another problem with the law. Gives us blind spots. Leads us to self-righteousness. Makes us feel condemned. And here's the worst thing. We can't keep it. That's really bad. <laughs> We can't keep it. So, if you have your Bible, I want you to do a little looking with me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. This is what it says. Galatians, what? Galatians chapter 2, 
verse 16. Yet we know, the Apostle Paul says, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now i gotta take a, I got I to I gotta stop here for a moment do a little digression. This word justified. Everybody say justified. Justified. When you are justified, it means that God says you're right. When you are justified, it means in God's opinion, you're good. You're good to go. Justified says that according to God's standard, we just told you the Ten Commandments is God's standard for what righteousness is. And His standard, again, you're not being compared to other people, you're being compared to God. When God says you are justified, what He is saying is, as far as I'm concerned, you are good enough to get into heaven because now you are like me. You are righteous like me. Whoa. That's a pretty big step. A pretty big step. We talked about this uh, the other day that, that everybody is, is tainted with sin, that Adam and Eve sinned and, and we fell in Adam and Eve and uh, we are sinners by birth and we get better at it. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no human being who does not have sin except Jesus himself. And so for God to ever get to the point where he would say about you, you're good. No, no, you're not a little bit good. You didn't do something good. You're totally good. You are absolutely, 100% sterling, pure, good. And you're good enough to spend eternity with me. That's what justified means. And here it says, nobody is justified by the works of the law. And that's why this young ruler, when he said, all these I've kept from my youth, and Jesus is, is waiting to sort of drop the bomb on him, well, you know, there's some parts of the law you haven't kept. You've not done well at it. And I'm about to prove it to you, because I'm going to give you a chance to show where, who's your God and, and what you really worship. And when it came to what he worshipped, he couldn't give up worshipping his stuff. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Over in chapter 3 of Galatians, look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All things. If you're going to be a law keeper... If you're going to try to live your religious life uh, by trying to live perfectly, then, then that's the point. You've got to do it perfectly. You can't do it a little bit. It doesn't count. There, you know, when you take a test, there's a standard, right? And when you, when you don't meet that standard, what happens? You fail. You know, when I was in the Army, every... Twice a year, we had to do a physical fitness test. Everybody in the military does. 
and it's different for different services. There are some services that are not uh, as rigorous as others. And, you know, uh, there's a certain amount of push-ups you have to do for your age, a certain amount of sit-ups you have to do for your age, and you have to run the two miles in a certain amount of time according to your age. And if you score one less push-up than is the passing score, you fail. And you can get up and, and cry and plead with the sergeant and say, you know, I meant to do well. That push-up that you said was not a push-up was really a push-up, though I was going like this, you know. I mean, I was trying. Are you going to give me a break for trying? And the answer is no. There's a standard. You either meet the standard or you fail. If you're going to live your life by the law, then that's okay. God's saying it's okay. You just got to do it perfectly. You can't mess up one little bit. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. There it is. Nobody. You will not get eternal life by trying to keep the law. It does not work. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, that is, tries to keep the law, shall live by them. Here's the good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law is a curse because it hangs over our head and it always tells us, always tells us, you are not good enough. Now, some of you, you know, have been told that by your parents. And some of, of you have been told that by people you go to school with. And some of you have told yourself that. When you've looked in the mirror and you've compared yourself to other people, you have told yourself, I'm not good enough. But now... Jesus comes along and says, that's what the law said. And the law was right. You aren't. But I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to give you something that belongs to me and give it to you so that for all eternity, you will be good enough in God's eyes. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Hallelujah. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Here it says it again. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay, have we made our point? I think so. Galatians says it. Romans says it. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe 
For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, now here comes a tough verse, verse 25. There's a, there's a big word in here. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Propitiation. God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood. Now what that means is, we have two problems when it comes to trying to get to heaven. We can't keep the law. We're unable because of our sinfulness. That's one problem. Another problem is, we've broken the law. We can't keep it, and yet we broke it. So not being able to fulfill it 100%, we're losers, but then we break it, and now we're guilty. Now God's angry because we disobeyed Him. So you see the two problems? I couldn't live perfect, and because I couldn't live perfect, I sinned, and because I've sinned, I'm guilty, and now God's mad at me. So if I die in that condition, and I stand at the judgment, I'm in big trouble. But here is this really cool word, propitiation. And what this word means is that when Jesus hung on the cross, God took out all of his anger on his own son. Oh! I mean, that's an old moment. The anger of God is all used up at the cross. He's not mad at you anymore. He said, but wait, wait, wait a minute. Does he know what I did? And nobody else knows. Yeah, he knows. When Jesus went up to Calvary and he was nailed to the cross, he knew exactly about that secret sin in your life. He knew exactly about your tendency to those particular sins. He, knew, he knows exactly about your weakness. And when he died on the cross and God was angry at you, for all the times you have screwed up, at that moment that Jesus died, the anger of God was spent. And everybody who has faith in Jesus Christ, God is not angry at you. Please hear me, my brothers and sisters. Some of you struggle sometimes with a real sensitive guilt, and you're, you're always thinking God's mad. Please hear what the Bible says. Not my opinion what the Bible says. He is the propitiation for our sins through His blood. It's over. The fight is over. Maybe somebody in this room has experienced this. Your parents ever been mad at you? Never. I I know some of you are good people. But some of you who are like me have had moments where you kind of dreaded the encounter. You were told to do something, you screwed up, you failed, and you knew your parents were mad. They were angry. And the moment comes, you know, maybe one of those traditional things where your mother says, wait till your father gets home. I don't know. But whatever happens, you come in the living room, there are your parents, showdown time. And, and maybe one of them has a tendency to turn red or purple when they're angry. And you come into the room 
And you could just see the rage just boiling off, you know, and you know, oh, man, why can't I be adopted by another family right at this moment, you know? And at that very moment, when the anger is about to be poured out on you, all of a sudden your parents go, you know what? I love you. And I don't have a thing against you. And yeah, here are the keys to the car and the credit card. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And no curfew. Okay, that ain't going to happen. Just fantasy here. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you about what happens at that moment when you deserved judgment. And the Father says, I by every right should cast you into hell. But I look over here at Golgotha and I see a cross. And on that cross is my own son. And he is dying for you. And as his blood drips from that cross, every sin you've ever committed is washed away. And all my anger is gone. I don't want to be mad at you anymore. I want you to be my child too. That happens for us the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. The moment we have faith that Christ died for us, at that very moment, we are justified. God says, I don't have a thing against you. Not only do I have nothing against you, but when I look at you, I look at perfection. What? No, no. Here's another great verse. You, you, everybody here ought to memorize this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Hold on, we're almost done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 You need to hold on to this verse. For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, So that in Him, Jesus, we, you, might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear what he just said? He didn't just say, finally acceptable. He he didn't just say, you know, you, you just got over by the skin of your teeth. He says that at the moment Christ died on the cross and you believed that He died for you, God took the sin of your life and He put it on Jesus and He took the righteousness of Jesus and He put it on you. And for the rest of eternity, when God the Father looks at you, who does He see? He sees Christ. He sees the righteousness of God all over. You are dressed in the righteousness of God. So when you feel like you are worthless and when you fail, when you feel pathetic and pitiful and that nobody should have mercy on you, please understand this. God doesn't feel that way about you. You believed in Him. 
He loves you. In fact, He loved you before you believed in Him. It was because He loved you that He sent Christ. And because He loved you, He opened your eyes to believe in Christ. He has always been loving you. But this is really cool. Because what this says, He's always going to keep loving you. Once you get dressed in righteousness, can't nobody take that robe off. It's yours for keeps. That's what it means to be justified. Didn't happen by the law. Didn't happen by working for it. It happened by grace through faith. So I just want to close tonight by reading you two questions. Some of you are familiar with these. They come from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And these questions and answers ought to come alive to you. This is what it, the question is, what is justification? That's what we've been talking about here tonight. Justification is an act. Okay, that means one time. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. One time you believe, he imputes. He gives you what you didn't earn. Jesus earned it. He gives to Christ what you committed, your sin and failure. Christ dies. The anger of God is used up. He's the propitiation for our sins. And then he makes a declaration, a legal declaration in the courts of heaven. You are mine. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are clean. You are good. You are righteous. Forever. Case closed. Court adjourned. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us that much. Jesus, thank you for giving us all you had. We pray that the rest of our life might be lived to say thank you for.